All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm t- talking to you from the Borough of Queens. It is the 19th day of July, 2022. We do want to thank all of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. Also, want to thank you. And encourage you to send along whatever comments you have about this show. It's helpful to us to know what you're thinking and what you would like to hear. Send those along to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Questions at number four, taylor at gmail.com. We do want to thank our sponsors. Uh, this week's sponsors are Irving Resources, Noble Resources, Eloro Resources, SK Mining, Timberline Resources, and Lion One Metals. I've titled today's show is... Central Bank Gold Price Rigging, Just a Conspiracy Theory. Chris Powell, Dr. Quentin Henning, and Michael Oliver return this week. On August 15, 1971, President Nixon detached gold from the world's monetary system, and there about the same time, he declared we are all Keynesians now. By so doing, he set the stage for massive amounts of inflation, not only in consumer prices, but in stock and bond prices that served to siphon wealth away from the middle class to the billionaire class, to an extent even greater than that of the robber baron period of the 1920s. To con the world into using an intrinsically worthless dollar after 1971, the Nixon administration used the U.S. military to protect the power of Saudi Arabia, the royal family, in exchange for requiring gold be sold by in dollars, that is, requiring the Saudi Arabians to force OPEC to sell all of their, their oil in U.S. dollars, thus putting a uh, a prop or a, a bid under the U.S. dollar, uh, allowing it to have value that it didn't, would not have had otherwise. But even with a dollar propped up by oil and the U.S. military, during times of market tumult, investors instinctively opted to exchange their dollars for gold, which posed a threat to dollar hegemony. As a result, the Bank for International Settlement, or BIS for short, which is known as the Central Bankers Bank, arranged for major banks in the Western world to suppress the price of gold during times of chaotic market conditions to retain confidence in the dollar, by the, again, by suppressing the price of gold until market conditions would return to normal. If gold were to surge dramatically higher during such times, investors and citizens in general would trash the dollar in exchange for real money, money with intrinsic value like gold or perhaps silver. But that would kill the ambitions of our military-industrial complex to expand the American empire. Recently, a consummate insider in the London gold bullion market, Peter Hambrough, went public explaining how the BIS has been rigging gold markets using 
bullion banks paper gold of the futures markets, in other words. But long before Mr. Hombro discussed the nasty behavior of the rich and powerful to subdue the middle class, Bill Murphy and Chris Powell created a nonprofit organization known as the Gold Antitrust Action Committee, or GATA for short, to make the world aware of this clandestine operation of theft. Chris will be with me in the second half of today's show to explain how the elite have been picking the pockets of average folks for many years by suppressing the price of gold, and how they are continuing to do so even more aggressively now at a time uh, when the world faces unprecedented financial and economic issues. A company that is working hard to begin uh, gold production, that is production of real money, is Lion One Metals. Its uh, Tuvato mine is what Quentin Henning has identified as an alkaline deposit, which are among the largest and richest gold deposits in the world. Lion One is moving towards production and at the same time is discovering incredibly higher grades of gold as it uh, drills deeper underneath the existing deposit. So it's a very exciting story that Quentin will be with me right after our first commercial break to give us an update. But right now, I'm happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is back with me once again. Thanks for joining me, Michael. Hi, Jay. It's always good to have you. I understand from the sweltering peaks of Colorado, you're up in the highlands, but even there you're having a heat wave, I understand. It's fine. You know, it's very low humidity here. (laughs) Well, that that is... that does make a difference, but if you have 120 degrees, it's, it's hot no matter how much you... Anyway, uh, you know, everybody wants to know about the gold markets. I mean, not everybody. People that listen to this show, most of them are interested in the gold markets. Many of them have investments in the gold shares as well as the bullion. Uh, in one of your, I think your weekend missive, you talked about 1673 as being kind of a key number. I think it was the lowest number of the last couple of years for gold. Do you think gold will um, will hold that? And um, I do you think it will so. Uh, it's interesting yeah. to me that silver took out the range lows of the last uh, two years, ever since the summer 2020 high. Uh, it had established lows in the 21 and a half level about three times, and it blew mm-hmm. through that uh, what about a month or so ago, and, and dropped down to 18. You know, now we're in mid 18, 19 level. Uh, same with the gold miners. They had uh, GDX, for example, had a bunch of lows after its summer 2020 high. They were all sort of horizontal, and it popped them out. But gold didn't. Gold had uh, two major lows since the summer 2020 high. Both of them were under 1700. March 2021 low, which we circled and called it it as the low, was 1673. Mm-hmm. And so far, despite the, the break in so many assets, including silver and miners, Gold hasn't touched that low, and mm-hmm. it looks to us via our metrics, I'm talking right now a shorter term and intermediate term, which is the way to analyze this particular decline that's been underway since March, uh, look like they're about out of gas on the downside, and uh, it wouldn't take, uh, you know, I'm not going to, our reports specify numbers, but, uh, you know, it wouldn't yeah. shock me if later this week you're back above today's highs, you've probably seen the low. Uh, now, what does that mean? Well, it means that probably the intermediate decline within the range of the prior two years, not violating the low of the range, for gold, that is, is over. Mm-hmm. And in hindsight, we'll look back and say, well, gee, I never even broke through the bottom of the range, like, despite mm-hmm. so many assets collapsing in double, large double-digit percentages. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, right now, gold's down 100 bucks on the year. Mm-hmm. They're about, what's that, about 5%. Compare that right. to any other asset in the world. Or, you know, it's hard to find something like that. 
Uh, and if gold does hold here and start to turn, we also have some metrics on silver and the miners that suggest they could turn. And our bet is that if gold, in fact, does hold here uh, within the range of the past two years, that the miners and silver will outpace it on the upside again. That's mm-hmm. what they usually do. When, when gold's up, they're up more. When gold's down, they're down more. That's just the way mm-hmm. it is. Uh, and I think that, that rubber band will snap back the other way quickly for the silver and the gold miners. Um, the bigger issue right now, I think, for gold is this. I think it's a good idea to perhaps compare the synchronicity of the stock market and gold mm-hmm. and, uh, to some extent, the foreign exchange markets. Uh, yes, the dollar's been strong, but it just recently collapsed three full points on the dollar index in a matter of four trading days. Oh. Uh, so it's a very sharp drop. We think it's probably topped and could come down hard, meaning the euro and the yen are finally beat up. Uh, a lot of these trend actions by the euro and the yen to the downside upside in the dollar, also the downside in the S&P and the downside in the monetary metals, is based on a common assumption. And what's that assumption? The Fed's going to tighten forever. They're going to break inflation, et cetera, et cetera. Well, people believe in the Fed on both sides. We don't. Uh, we think the Fed is playing their last game in history. They've only been around 100 years. Don't bet on them being around five years from now. Uh, the reason is, and this is something most people don't focus on. In fact, I've not heard it focused on underneath the financial channels. A dozen-year stock market bubble of un seen proportions in U.S. market history has topped. That bubble in asset prices, a seven-fold gain in the S&P over a dozen years, a 16-fold gain in the NASDAQ 100 over a dozen years, is fully reflective of the Fed funds chart going down to zero effectively over that period of time and staying there, and the M2 chart going off the page. You can almost lay Mm -hmm. the M2 chart on the S&P. Uh-huh. That bubble is breaking for the S&P because it needed, at first time, it was finally priced itself beyond beyond. And once bubbles like that break, and again, this, there's no comparison. The dot-com top, the uh, 2007 peak, the real estate peak, none of the bear markets, uh, the bull markets that led to those peaks or the bear markets that follow compare to anything that we've seen over the past dozen years. Mm-hmm. So when this bubble breaks and it is in the process of breaking, we expect a lot of devastation that the Fed will have to come in and defend uh, municipal bonds, high-yield corporate debt. All kinds of markets will come unhinged as their bubbles break. And that means the Fed cannot stay on the course that they're pretending to be on. And already, if you'll just look through the Wall Street Journal, for example, almost at random, you have news articles and or editorials that are saying the following. The Fed could overshoot Watch out, Fed. Mm-hmm. There's a mm-hmm. lot of concern that the Fed's going to overshoot. And our bet is they will, in fact, not overshoot. They will probably halt their rate rises. Not Maybe this one will be the last one. I don't know. All they mm-hmm. need is some economic metric numbers for them to have an excuse to say, okay, we're going to go on pause now and be data sensitive. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that the markets have priced in the assumption that they're not going to be not going to halt the process, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they've overdone it. In other words, the markets have overdone the strong Fed on the downside Mm -hmm. in the stock market and in the gold market. And once Mm -hmm. that overshoot has occurred, you're going to get the rally that we're getting in stocks now, and I think you're going to get in the miners, silver, and gold, and Mm -hmm. also the downside in the dollar. All these, I think, are intermediate trend overshoots based on a false 
assumption of a sustained Fed tightening. Mm-hmm. And that, well, that's, when that, that becomes that, clearer, that's when these markets will discount it the other way. Uh, uh-huh. Aha, you know, uh-huh. the Fed has to survive. Well, <laughs> so. well I, think, I, I think the markets then are, are betting uh, the same way David Stockman was last week when he was on my show and he talked about he thinks the Fed will remain tight, will remain, uh, you know, with QT longer, probably until the market breaks, because he thinks uh, that they're scared, scared to death of the same thing you said. They're afraid of losing, uh, you know, losing their jobs. The Fed, of well, course, is a... Well, they the other way, too, no? the opposite yeah, of what yeah. he says. They could lose it right. the other way by being too tight too long and therefore having people more right. upset about losing their job. Right, right. And, I think he's looking you know, at the inflation, the anger that's out there uh, about uh, inflation, yeah. the votes that the that the Democrats are fearful of losing because of it. And that, anyway, who knows? Yeah. Nobody knows for sure. But what you're saying, I think, is historically more accurate, more certainly what we've been seeing in the past. Um, and either way, the Fed could be in big trouble. I mean, if they hyperinflate, they're not going to they're not going to last either. Right? Something will replace the Fed. I think they're in a in a swirly that they will not recover from this time around. They will mm-hmm. lose public acceptance, economics, economist acceptance. Uh, you're already seeing rumblings to that effect now about oh gosh, they're overshooting. Well, mm-hmm. you know, the flip flopping can't continue, and pretty soon somebody's going to realize there should not be such a thing as a uh, stock market cycle. Okay, the market cycle, you know, shouldn't be one. Oh, it's <laughs> it's more of a credit cycle than anything. But let me ask you yeah, just just yeah. real quickly. We have to we're we're up uh, our time is up. But I just want to ask you about commodities in general. Then uh, they've they've pulled back quite a bit. You see this as a correction, but I take it you're still really bullish. As I was looking over your work I think recently, an entire new wave to come. Yeah. Bloomberg Commodity Index, I think, is having a correction within a, an early phase of a major bull market. If you look at the Bloomberg Commodity Index trading now, 110 to 120 zone, go back in history and look at that price compared to where we were in 2008, 2011. It's hardly off the page. We're only mm-hmm. halfway back to the highs. And this bull market just began in late 2020 by our metrics. The annual momentum trend, I think it'll probably last another year or two easily. Uh, and it, it won't be just focused in the energy sector either. So a year or two, uh, I guess, be on the right side, the right markets, commodities, gold, silver, and then hopefully at some point in time when the equity markets actually get their comeuppance and are repriced where they should be repriced, there may be some buys on that side of the uh, of the market as well. And I will yeah, turn to you. It might and... be like the 1932 low. You don't come back to your old highs for decades. Decades, Remember, it was yeah. the 1950s before you could get back to the 1929 high. <laughs> so, All right. I wouldn't be shocked well, time, well, time will tell. Thanks again, Michael, for your thoughts. Always valuable. Thank you, Jay. Thanks for spending time with us. All right, folks, we got to go to break, but don't go away because Dr. Quentin Henning will be with me to talk about Lion One Metals. The company's really on to the Tuvatu project that is really looking great. Higher grades as they dig and as they drill deeper underneath the existing deposit. Very exciting story, so don't go away. We'll be right back with Dr. Quentin Henning. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Lion One Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. 
Lion 1 is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion 1 trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at lion1metals.com for more information about Lion 1 Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back, Training Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to tell you that Dr. Quentin Henning is with us once again. Uh, he is a member of the Crestcat Capital Management Team and a director, and he serves at Crestcat as the firm's geologic and technical advisor. Uh, well, he's been with us so often, I'm not going to read over his entire biography because that would be uh, redundant, but uh, it is very worthwhile uh, learning to know more about Quentin and his background, if you're not familiar with them. Uh, thanks for joining me again, Quentin. Absolutely, Jay. This is always a pleasure. It's always great to have you uh, because you almost always have really exciting stories to talk about. And this is certainly one Lion One's Tuvatu project in Fiji. Um, you know, I, I would like to just tell my listeners uh, that they might want to pay some attention to the Crestcat gets active videos that are, uh, they're live. You can watch them on YouTube at 2 o'clock every Friday. And the reason I say that is because Lion One is one company that Quentin talks about from time to time. A host of companies that Crestcat Capital invests in. And there's just a lot of great information. If you really are invested in these companies and want to understand what's going on from a geological perspective as well as uh, a business perspective, it's very valuable to watch these uh, programs, and if you can't watch them live, they are available to you on YouTube afterwards as well. Uh, so I just wanted to encourage people uh, to consider doing that. I should say, uh, just before we get into this discussion, Lion One trades in Canada, LIO, L-O-M-L-F, in the States, 156.4 million shares, trading about uh, $1.8 in U.S. money, giving it a market cap about a uh, about 170 million in U.S. money, um, and so that's gives you the, an idea of the market capitalization. But I think, in my view, uh, really understates its potential value, and so that's why really happy to have Quentin with me. Um, it, it, Quentin, the last time we talked, it was about um, it was right after the company's June 6th amazing assay report. I think the company reported a headline number of something like. 
20.86 grams of gold over uh, 76 meters, something like that. Just ridiculous. <laughs> uh, and as you pointed out in the past, you know, th this is an alkaline deposit, and these things tend to be very high grade, and they end usually pretty big projects that usually end up uh, being produced and, you know, run by major mining companies. Those, those major mining companies like these big projects that can produce you know, hundreds of thousands of ounces a year, if, if possibly. I'm not saying that's what this one will do, but it, 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 comparing, you've seen many alkaline projects. Um, you've been involved with some. How does this one compare with some of the others you've seen? Does it have a chance to be a multi-million ounce high-grade deposit in your view? Absolutely. In fact, I, I talked about this uh, last Friday on the video that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. so we do the video on Friday, and <clears throat> on, in that you'll if you kind of thumb through the YouTube video, you can find the page. But I did talk about Lion One and what I think it can deliver, and I do think it's it's going to deliver something that's going to be uh, of an in interest to major mining companies. <clears throat> so to put this in perspective, look, there's uh, there's a, uh, some, but not a lot of alkaline gold deposits around the Earth. Uh, but the ones that like like Tuvatu, the one we're talking about here, the ones that really deliver, they, they deliver bigly. Uh, if you look at Cripple Creek here in Colorado, for example, in the historic mines, the high-grade underground mines, they produce around 20 million ounces of gold at, at very high grades. You know, average grade for the life of mine for all of the mines at Cripple Creek was about a half an ounce per ton, so you know, wow. 10 grams per ton. And then, uh, you know, new, now Newmont, it was, uh, um, look, it's, it, it's had a long history of Creek and uh, uh, joint venture way back in the day, started open pit mining. It was bought by a succession of companies. Most recently, Newmont operates Creek and has produced, it's produced at least about, I think, another eight and a half or nine million ounces. Oh. So it's up to about 29 million ounces production. Of course, they're mining the lower grade material now. But, uh, you know, these, these things are just incredible deposits. Now, Porgora over in New Guinea, which is actually closer to, uh, to Fiji, and, you know, geologically, I would say it's more similar, given it's in the Circum Pacific, uh, you know, island, ring, you know, the ring of fire, the, the uh -huh. chain of uh, volcanic islands. Um, it uh, is an exceptional deposit as well. It's very similar geologically to Tuvatu. It is uh, associated with a, a monzonite intrusion that, uh, you know, basically a magma, an alkaline magma that kicked off a lot of gold. And it's produced, I believe, around 25 or 30 million ounces of gold at this point. Has quite a bit of reserves left. Uh, it's a joint venture presently between Barrick and Zijian Mining, I believe. Uh, and it is absolutely, hands down, a tier one asset. It's produced a lot of gold over time, but it has a lot of life left to it. Um, you know, once again, it's a testament to what these alkaline systems can deliver. Now, uh, right there in Fiji, though, we have a, a nearby neighbor. Uh, it's called Vatikola. Vatikola mm -hmm. uh, formerly was known as the Emperor Mine going way back in time. And it was, it's been mined for probably on, onwards of 87 years, I believe, at this point, something like that. It's produced a little over 7 million ounces of gold in that lifetime. Uh, the early days, it was a very prolific producer. It produced, you know, in excess of 100,000 ounces, or I think even close to 200,000 ounces at one point, uh, way back in the day. In fact, it, it underpinned Western Mining's, um, you know, mining portfolio. Uh, Western mm -hmm. Mining was a famous Australian right. company. It was a multi-commodity company, but they, they did well at Emperor Mine. Anyway, um, that deposit has around 4 million ounces of 
of reserves and resources left. So, you know, in, in aggregate, it's a little over 11 million ounces. So right there next to Tuvati, we have a, a direct analog. So, yeah, I would say there's a very good chance that Tuvatu can uh, deliver one of these uh, multi-million ounce, very large, very desirable uh, alkaline gold projects. You know, as I was reviewing that June 6th uh, press release, I noticed that it seemed as though it's still in it's still in mineralization at the bottom of the hole and more than 500 meters down um, and, and high grade at that. Do these, these systems tend to run very deep and do they get richer sometimes at depth? Uh, they they do. They're kind of. Uh, I think the last time I spoke with you, or sometime here recently, I've interviewed. And uh, you know, if you think of these things like drilling a tree from the top down, that's the best analogy I can yeah. use. You know, they they have a, a lot of uh, they're fracture hoster or fissure hosting. You know, like the cracks in the ground are what uh, took up the fluids and and host the mineralization now. Uh, but they, you know, the the pattern of these fractures is they come out of the ground and they emerge towards surface. They tend to spread out and become smaller and smaller limbs, mm-hmm. like a tree. All right. So uh, up until this point, uh, really up until about 2020, the company focused on the upper branches. They they drilled uh, a decent resource, you know, a few hundred thousand ounces. I think 600,000 ounces and change uh, in what we call the upper limbs. And then in 2020, we right in the middle of COVID there, we swung for the fence and drilled a, a deeper hole. We drilled drilled a hole underneath the existing resource in an area where some geophysics suggested we might have a, a structure, a you know, potential host fracture uh, for mineralization. That's when we hit that 12.7 meters of 55 grams, I believe it was. Yeah. And that told us, yeah, there are some bigger branches down there, you know, bigger and higher grade branches. You know, but we've been uh, plumbing this thing, you know, poking holes down there uh, now for about two years. And all, all of them have hit, interestingly, like all of the holes that go down into that deep regime have hit, uh, you know, offsets to that original 500 load uh, intercept. But this one that we had about a month and a half ago just, you know, blew the, shot the lights out, as they say, you know, it um, it really delivered. And, you know, within that that 70-odd meter intercept, there was 30-odd um, meters of about an ounce per ton. Ah. And that's the kind of, you know, when when I see that, it smells like the trunk of the tree. And, you know, like, it's yeah. definitely a major conduit. Now, that said, okay, Jay, that, that intercept is actually not all that deep. So when you put it in perspective of alkaline systems, um, this thing could carry on down into the, you know, to the crust for a ways. Like, you know, we probably have another kilometer of runway uh, below this at least. So, uh, you know, we basically poked the, you know, the upper part of the trunk, way, way up high, and there's a, a lot of potential left here. Right, and there's a lot of potential laterally with other deposits, I think, along some seven kilometers of strike, uh, but that's another story. So, you, so I mean, this, this is just tremendous exploration potential, but I want to ask you, uh, with regard to potential with uh, exploration, the company's also moving towards, I guess, small-scale production to start with. Um, what, to what extent is the company now focused on sort of infill drilling and engineering and that sort of thing to get ready for production? And to what extent is it still seeking to expand mineralization? Okay, so it's really a two-pronged approach at this point. You know, they do have this exploration because this deeper, higher-grade mineralization we've been talking about can have a profound effect on the ultimate outcome of developing a mine. 
you know, they are now talking about putting a ramp down to these areas where this higher grade and thicker mineralization is to uh -huh. get better access, you know, for both drilling it and uh, then ultimately developing it. Okay, but at the same time, the company is moving towards production. It's it's actually drilling, doing definition drilling up high in those upper limbs right now, uh, producing amazing results. I mean, just news release after news release, every single news release has many, many drill intervals, uh, infill drill intervals of very high grade. Mm -hmm. In fact, they're seeing higher grades overall in that upper part of the system than even the resource, uh, you know, estimate. Wow. So I, I think that's very encouraging. But the the plan is, just like it has been, to develop a, a modest scale mine, you know, effectively a test scale mine mm -hmm. at about three or four uh, tons per day level uh, initially, but that could be expanded very quickly. Uh, the, you know, the word here, I guess, uh, would be, you know, uh, optionality is the best yeah. way to put it. Um, you know, they have this, you know, crazy upside exploration. And, and like you said, it's over seven kilometers across the, the caldera, but they also have uh, this, you know, uh, you know, a prospect of building a mine fairly quickly because it is a granted mining lease. They're fully permitted. They're all ready to rock and roll. And so I think, uh, you know, this is one of the, you know, the markets, the gold markets struggle, right? It's been yeah. difficult in watching even a good, a great story like this, you know, kind of, it's it's been up lately, but it's not been like, you know, like we had hoped it would be like three or four or five dollars a share or something. Yeah. Right. But but it is the story. I think it is one of these stories that when the gold space does come back around, is absolutely going to kill it for for a lot of investors. So I I'm you know in spite of the melees in the gold market, sounds like Ukraine sold a bunch of gold. Uh, you know, God forbid. But anyway, um, you know, I think. This is one to keep a close eye on. Put some money in. It's cheap now. It's not, you know, <laughs> gold's not going anywhere. Two years from now, you'll you'll be laughing. You'll be very grateful you did. Well, I, I believe that's probably true. And um, I, I would like to remind investors and listeners that uh, Walter Burkhoff, uh, the company's chairman, has this won't be his first success. He's had, uh, I think, three others that he's done very well with. Uh, and I guess probably develop those projects up to the point where they would be attractive. I think Newmont picked one of them up. I think Yamana, one of the other ones. And so uh, this could be, I think, um, I, would, I would guess that if it's really, really, really big, uh, the company would probably be looking for a Newmont or a Barrick or some major company to come in. And not that they, they have to. They do have people that can take this thing into production. And I believe they have the, the talent to do that, right? That's correct. The, the team members are exceptional. Uh, you know, I've introduced some of the team members to Wally. Uh, so Sergio Catalani is the vice president of exploration, done a fantastic job. Uh, Willis Strango, who's working with him, also came in at my recommendation. But then uh, um, Patrick Hickey is helping develop the mine. He's, he's the COO and, and working towards developing the mine. So Patrick is, he, he and I worked at Newmont. Uh, he knows how to build mines, build mines on islands, <laughs> if you will. Uh, that's <laughs> yeah. special, believe it or not. Sure. So you, have, you have like the A team here at all levels. Yeah, very, very good team. And, and there were a lot of good existing members, too. I don't want to diminish that either. There's a yeah. real team in place. Well, that's part of the optionality, a different kind of optionality. It's important, too. Uh, you know, not to, the majors can't just sit back and say, well, we'll just take advantage of these guys. They can't put it in production. We'll walk away and we'll get it for nothing. They'll walk away and we'll get it for nothing. So they can't do that, perhaps, with uh, with Lion One. 
Uh, just one more thing I'd like to ask you about, Quentin. You did mention, as you uh, you talked about Lion One, Crescat gets active. In fact, you talked about quite a few companies last uh, last week, and you sort of gave an overall view of the company. You also said how much uh, you know of the comp- of each company's shares that Crescat was invested in, and I was expecting that Lion One would be one of those that was up there around nineteen percent or fifteen or twelve yeah. or something. It was a lot <laughs> lower than that, and so. You know, I said, "Wow, this doesn't make sense." And and but I think it's important for investors to realize that there are times of opportunities to invest, and then sometimes there's just not an opportunity. Well, I mean, it it's, it's a bit a bit historic. If you look at the market cap, when I you know was advising Kevin and Tavi to begin with uh-huh. a couple years ago, you know, the market cap of Lion One was already you know two hundred million and change. So we did, or they did, participate in the placement at that time. Mm-hmm. It was difficult to kind of muscle and they can get a decent piece, but they did buy what they could, and then uh, they have been nibbling away at the market. Uh, so you know, with that nibbling, I think they're up to n- almost two percent right now. It's not a huge stake, but in terms of dollar, you know, it's it's commensurate with the rest of our fund because it's a you know around say call it four or five million dollars in value Canadian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know our fund basically manages about two hundred and some odd million, so like two hundred twenty, mm-hmm. I think, right now. So you know, in in that perspective, you know, that's that's kind of where we want it. We got about ninety companies in our portfolio, and we you know we do play in a lot of stories. Now some companies, you know, we got in earlier, so they're they're the ones we typically have that nineteen percent in because we've got yeah. in cheap and early. Yep. Right, exactly. And some of those are very very exciting. You'll be talking about them as news. Uh, comes about on uh, Crestcat gets active. Uh, just one more thing. Uh, that I saw working capital about thirty-seven million. I presume that's enough uh, in the immediate future to keep keep Lion One going. That's correct. Yes, it keeps the exploration and progress towards mining going. Uh, absolutely, they're in a good position, especially in this market. All right, very good. Well, thank you so much, Quentin, for spending the time with us. Update us on Lion One. Greatly appreciated. Thank you. All right, folks, so don't go away. Chris Powell of the Gold Antitrust Action Committee will be with me to talk about how the ruling elite uh, use the futures markets to keep a cap on the price of gold. Very important topic, uh, but can that go on forever? We'll ask Chris when he comes back. Don't go away. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Reina Gold is a newly listed company trading on the OTCQB under the symbol REYGF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol REYG. Its flagship asset, La Gloria, is a 24,000-hectare district-scale property in the prolific Mojave Sonora Megashear in Mexico, between La Herradura, Mexico's biggest gold mine by Fresnillo, and El Shonate mine by Alamos Gold. La Gloria has very high-grade sampling and is in the first phase of a 10,000-meter drill program. The technical team is led by Dr. Peter McGaw, co-founder of Mag Silver, and Doug Kirwin, former VP of Ivanhoe Mines. Learn more at reinagold.com. Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. 
To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have with me Chris Powell. It's been a number of years, I think, since Chris was last on this show, but it's really good to have him with us. He is, has been a columnist uh, uh, for Journal Inquirer. That's the daily newspaper in Manchester, Connecticut, uh, where he is. He actually worked there since graduating from high school in 1967. He was the managing editor of the newspaper for a number of years before his retirement, uh, but he is also... Uh, the Secretary Treasurer of the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. It's a nonprofit organization that aims to expose and oppose the manipulation of the gold market and related markets uh, by central banks. Uh, thanks for joining me again, Chris. Oh, thanks for your invitation, Jay. It's uh, really good to have you. I would um, maybe just ask you, since you haven't been on for some time, um, maybe the purpose, well, we just said what the purpose of GATA is, but what uh, how did you happen to get in, interested in this? I know Bill Murphy played a role in it, um, and it, it's it's one of those things where you're trying to do you're trying to s- let people know uh, some egregious uh, activities that are distorting markets and 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 hurting people. Um, and but why did you decide to get involved in it? Well, I I got interested in gold uh, basically by virtue of a free subscription or trial subscription I happened to get to uh, Jim Blanchard's uh, Old Gold Newsletter, which is now run by Brian London. And this was back in 98, I guess. And uh, uh, Blanchard was noting that the gold price was, you know, relatively uh, uh, low. And I had heard somebody say buy low and sell high. So (laughs) I I started uh, paying some attention to the gold market. I quickly bumped into Bill Murphy on the Internet. He had just started his... Uh, internet site of commentary on the metals markets, uh, lametropolecafe.com, and uh, Bill was a former futures trader, and he kept noticing that uh, the gold and silver market seemed to be manipulating. The, the prices came to a technically critical point. Uh, the, the big bullion banks would pound on it, and he started complaining about manipulation. And uh, I had some experience uh, in the newspaper business with antitrust law. I also had some experience with it in my studies of U.S. history. And finally, I got sick of Murphy complaining about the manipulation. I I wrote to him saying, you know, it looks like uh, there's a lot uh, to what you're saying, but if it's true, uh, it would seem to be against the Sherman Act and the Clayton Act and 50-state antitrust acts. And uh, if that's the case, somebody ought to uh, form a, a committee to oppose it and hire some lawyers on a contingency basis. And 
and sue the bastards for uh, triple damages. And if somebody wanted to start such a committee, I'd uh, contribute $500 to it. And Bill said, hey, that's a good idea. So that's that's what that's how it started. But really, within a year or so, we we discovered it really wasn't just the uh, the big New York investment banks. It was basically uh, longstanding government policy being implemented in part uh, through the intermediaries of the bullion banks. And uh, so we were told we really couldn't sue anybody here because the government was behind it. And and the Gold Reserve Act of 1934, uh, as amended in the 1970s, specifically authorizes the U.S. government to uh, rig any market in the world. Uh, mm-hmm. So we were, uh, you know, we were, we were forced to really become a publicity operation. Though we, we did bring a couple of lawsuits, uh, uh, one against the uh, the Federal Reserve that actually beat them on a freedom of information point. We still have a picture of the check that the the Fed had to send us to to pay for our court costs, uh, which is proudly displayed on our internet site. So when they tell you, you know, don't fight the Fed, uh, they're not always right. You can beat them sometimes. Well, at least you got your legal costs. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, it I mean, was really a technical payment. I think something like twenty three hundred dollars. Uh, it, it didn't come close to the the legal fees, but it was it was uh, uh, a sign that we had officially won the case. Well, you know, you, maybe you couldn't beat them legally, but you're shedding light on an injustice, I think, when when markets are manipulated. But, uh, you, you know, they, at first they called this, of course, uh, the Gold Antitrust Action Committee was a was touting a conspiracy. And you've made the point many times it's certainly not a conspiracy. Um, what evidence can you pass along to our listeners? Uh, well, it's not a it is a conspiracy. It's just not we've been accused of uh, a conspiracy theory it's yeah it's, it's not a it's, conspiracy theory it's, it's it's conspiracy fact the gold yeah. price suppression uh, has been the open policy of the united states government for 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 decades we've mm-hmm. collected uh, many uh, official government documents and uh, the memoirs of of central bankers uh, uh, the records of the bank for international settlements which is the gold broker for uh, the central banks. Uh, we've got many documents showing that this is long-standing Western government policy. The, the history books show it. Uh, you can look up uh, the history of the London Gold Pool, which uh, was a Western central bank open conspiracy to suppress the gold price during the 1960s uh, with the uh, uh, dishoarding of Western central bank gold reserves to hold the gold price at the official U.S. price of $35 an ounce. That was that was done in the open. After the gold pool collapsed in March 1998, uh, the central banks uh, retreated to find a new way of, of suppressing the gold price, and eventually they they settled upon gold derivatives and the uh, uh, the futures markets, where they could they could sell a lot of imaginary gold and, and divert demand for gold uh, away from physical gold uh, and to uh, to paper products, uh, which they would never have to deliver upon, and that's really how uh, the gold price uh, suppression policy has been implemented since uh, the mid-1970s. But there's many, many documents of this. Uh, uh, there's even congressional testimony by uh, Alan Greenspan uh, back in 98, I guess, when he told Congress uh, that, uh, quote, central banks stand ready to lease gold in increasing quantities should the price rise. And right. <laughs> Greenspan himself told yeah. Congress that the purpose yeah. of gold leasing 
by central banks was not the the reason that the central banks were giving to to earn a little interest on a on a dead asset. That the mm-hmm. that the that the reason for for gold leasing by central banks was price control. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's tons of this in our archive. Uh, if if people want the documentation, I, I would direct them to our internet site gata.org and just uh, go to the top uh, left. You'll you'll see uh, uh, an entry called the basics, and you can uh, click on that, and it it, it opens a a big big uh, section on uh, the documentation and and history and purposes of gold price suppression. All the documents that we have are there, and there's dozens of them. Uh, admissions by Various uh, central bankers, I think of uh, Zeller Gilstra, who is uh, head of the Dutch Central Bank and also president of the Bank for International Settlements. In his memoirs, he writes that uh, the gold price was always suppressed at the behest of the United States. There's so much of it there. Uh, mm-hmm. people, people really should uh, should review the documentation before they uh, dismiss all this as conspiracy theory. you got to remember, you know, whenever, whenever government operates in secret to... Uh, decide on and implement a course of action. That, that by definition, is conspiracy. Right, uh, right. Government is, by definition, conspiracy whenever it operates in secret. So, right. you know, conspiracy theory is is not uh, not accurate here. This is conspiracy conspiracy fact. It's, it's long-standing government policy. You, you can look it up. Yeah. Well, conspiracy theory is thrown out any time, uh, and, and as long as it's... Uh, the mainstream media really hits on it, and and you hear a lot of it. You say, "Oh yeah, it must be it. Must just be some crazy, uh, some crazy jerk that's espousing some theory that hasn't any truth to it." But you know, as you point out, there's it's, it's well documented, and the government itself admits it. Uh, and I I remember Reginald Howe, the the trials that were the trial that was up there in Boston many years ago. In fact, uh, you know, the government made its case in that in that regard. Uh, the banks actually that were the defendants. Anyway, uh, I think you just answered a question that I had from a listener recently about the gun- London gold pool, why why it failed. Well, I guess they thought they could just swamp the markets with gold, just physical gold, throw it out on the markets and it would go down to the point where people wouldn't they would lose interest in it or whatever. But that didn't work obviously because gold went from $35 to 850 a few years later. Uh, so that's the reason that didn't work. So what they did then was come up with this paper scam, uh, essentially. And one thing I wanted to ask, about, Chris, because it just I just saw this statistic. Um, you're you're familiar uh, with uh, Mr. Hambro, uh, Peter Hambro, I think, um, a consummate insider from the London gold market, uh, quite a history. Uh, really, just coming out recently and and telling everybody this is what's going on. The futures markets are being used to distort the price, not to allow price discovery of actual physical gold. Uh, of course, the you know the mining companies have to sell according to what the futures price is, is saying it is. Uh, so that came out, um, you know, from this from this guy uh, Peter Hambro, and I'm just wondering, in that uh, related to what he, he was talking about, there was a massive amount of futures. The futures contracts, according to what I've seen has gone up dramatically with something like normally be less than $50 billion in futures contracts um, by the by the bullion banks. But all of a sudden, in Q1 of this year, it jumped to $500 billion. I mean, it's just, if you look at the chart, it's just it's just incredible. And I'm wondering uh, if you have any sense of why that might be. Might it have something to do with the chaotic 
market conditions that we're seeing everywhere, or, or maybe, I don't know. Uh, do, you, do you have any thoughts about that? Well, you know, who has that kind of money? Uh, I don't. You don't. Uh, yeah. I think most uh, retail uh, gold investors uh, don't. Um, anytime you, you see an explosion uh, of, of that degree, it's, it's probably based on, uh, on government intervention. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the government can uh, create and deploy infinite money, and, and not only can it create and deploy infinite money, uh, under the Gold Reserve Act of 34 uh, and the uh, uh, amendments that have been made to it, uh, uh, working through the Exchange Stabilization Fund, the, the government can deploy secretly money in any market in the world in order to, uh, to control those markets. If you want another piece of documentation, uh, you can uh, just go to the uh, Internet site of the uh, CME Group, which, which operates all the major futures exchanges in the United States, and you can look at its filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission and the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. You can see that uh, CME Group offers something called the Central Bank Incentive Program, uh, yeah. which provides uh, discounted trading to governments and central banks that use intermediary brokers approved by the uh, futures exchange for for trading in all futures contracts in the United States, not just just, just financial futures, but commodity futures as well. Uh, Now, this program is is still in effect. It's been operating for years. It never gets asked about by the financial uh, press, but I don't think I've ever seen any mainstream uh, financial journalism reporting that Central banks are surreptitiously trading uh, all the futures contracts and all the major futures contracts in, in the United States. Uh, the program exists. Uh, it's uh, the filings are are, are, are public. Uh, you can uh, you can do what got and what uh, U.S. Representative Alex Mooney for West Virginia has done. You can mm-hmm. ask the Commodity Futures Trading Commission uh, if the commission has jurisdiction over manipulative futures trading that is undertaken by or at the behest of the United States government? Uh, or is that is such manipulative trading uh, uh, legal and the CFTC has no jurisdiction over it? The CFTC will not answer the question, won't answer uh-huh. it not only for, for GATA, but not answer it for Representative Mooney. Mooney. Now, uh, if that doesn't tell you what's going on, uh, you know I can't I can't help you. But the CFTC will not answer the question as to whether uh, government trading directly or through intermediaries that manipulates the futures market in the United States is subject to CFTC jurisdiction or not. And since they can't answer the question, I think I know the answer. Yeah, no, but it would seem so. Well, the London Gold Pool failed. Um, and I'm wondering if some point in time this system might, might not fail as well. And I have to wonder if you have any thoughts about Russia and China, which have been building their gold reserves dramatically over the last uh, decade or so. And, of course, Russia just recently indirectly li- uh, attaching the ruble to gold and, and more directly uh, the ruble to natural gas. Uh, uh, and oil, and also now I understand to food. So unfriendly countries, if they want to get food from Russia, they're going to have to pay in rubles. Likewise, natural gas and oil. Um, you, you, I have to think geopolitically, Russia and China must know the kind of financial ruin that we're creating for ourselves through this massive indebtedness that is growing so much more rapidly than, in, than income. 
that you know that we're we're really uh, we're really causing our country, our, our central bankers, our our politicians, basically to bankrupt our our country. Uh, Ed, do you have any thoughts about what might bring this this um, cons- this conspiracy to an end? Yeah, look, we know that the Russians know all about what's been happening with gold. Uh, back in 2004, the uh, deputy chairman of the Russian Central Bank, Oleg uh, Mazeskov, gave a speech to the uh, London Bullion Market Association's summer meeting at the uh, Kempinski Hotel in Moscow. The only words in, in English he spoke were gold antitrust action committee. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, which was very surprising to us because to the best of our knowledge at that time, we'd Never had any contact with anyone in Russia, but as early as 2004, uh, the Russian Central Bank uh, knew very much about Gata's work. There have been many uh, reports in the government-controlled financial press in China about gold market manipulation by the United States and its its allied governments. Those those reports are posted on our internet site. So, um, and, and and these reports came out. And the uh, WikiLeaks uh, cables that uh, you know were leaked leaked uh, uh, from uh, State Department records. So uh-huh. we, we know that not only does does Russia know all about the gold price suppression policy in the United States, well, we know that China knows, and we know that, that the United States knows that China knows because the Chinese news reports about U.S. gold price manipulation were cabled back to the State Department in Washington. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, you know, I, I think every major central bank knows uh, the rigging that's been going on and uh, is probably cooperating with it for for good or, or, or bad uh, purposes. How does it end? You know, it could end in the uh, so-called big reset that uh, uh, people are speculating about. Yeah. It could could end as uh, really uh, a, a geopolitical uh, uh, aggression by mm-hmm. uh, some uh, power that uh, you know resents the dominance of uh, of the dollar. Look, mm-hmm. Russia or China or South Korea, any any country well, with a reasonable right. foreign exchange surplus could. All right, Chris, we're going to have to leave it go with that. Uh, we're out of time. I I want to thank you so much for that. I'm sorry we we have to cut you off, but that is uh, very very interesting. And people can go to the Gold Antitrust Action Committee, how they can get a list, or they can get on your mailing list. How do they do that real quick? Yeah, go to GATA.org, and in the right-hand column, uh, you can sign up for uh, our da- daily dispatches, and uh, you know we try to keep people informed of things that uh, right. might be interesting to them. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Well, that is it for this week, folks. Next week, uh, Peter Kraut will be with me uh, to talk about the Great Silver Bull Market. That's a book that he uh, the Great Silver Bull is a book that he wrote, and we didn't have enough time for him to talk about all the great uh, bullish fundamentals for silver, despite the fact that it's been manipulated downward. And I, another thing I didn't ask Chris about, uh, but he'll be here to talk about that next week. And uh, also, Quentin Henning is back to talk about the Great Iska Iska deposit that is uh, turning into being one of the largest silver deposits in the world. So we'll be. Uh, hopefully you'll tune in next week. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 